title of today's message is God's Grace More Than Forgiveness. And we're going to be looking at the subject of grace over the next four messages that I do today, or are due in the next several weeks from the pulpit. And today we're going to be starting off in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or whip your phone open, however you read the Word of God. And we're going to be looking at the Scriptures and we're going to be asking the Holy Spirit to really change our minds and our focus of how we look and understand the grace of God. So I'm going to start off actually by praying for God's supernatural power to really touch us, to help us understand this very important aspect of his, his working in our life. So Father, we just come to you this morning. We ask for your Spirit to be here in a very unique way over the course of this message series. Because there is a great misunderstanding sometimes about what grace means to us. Is it just forgiveness? Or is it something else entirely? And I ask, Father, that you bring clarity to our minds and our hearts and help us to see the incredible power that comes from this short little word called grace and help us to experience it in our lives as we study your word. Father God, we ask this in your name. Amen. I know most of us don't spend a great deal of time thinking about the things of God. I mean, most people, we have lives to live. We don't sit here and, and contemplate a lot of the deep truths. Those are sometimes reserved for the nerds like me who like to think about those deep things. But I want us to, have some, to take some time and really start thinking deeply about grace. And then we're going to study God's Word over the next few weeks and really start to understand grace. We're going to go through this journey together. The seasoned saints in our midst and the new believers and those who are willing to explore whether the good news of Jesus is really true. The topic of God's grace is vast and it's certainly more than we can cover in these four weeks, but we're going to dig in and try to get a better understanding nonetheless. And as we begin this journey together, I hope it will be the start of a wonderful time of learning and entering into God's grace in greater and greater measure. And one of the big ideas that I want us to understand this morning and discover is that God's grace is more than just forgiveness. God sends his grace to teach us and have us live in a new way. And I'm going to frame this by telling you a story. And it's a story that many of us might have a hard time listening to because, unfortunately, it's a common occurrence in our world. And it's a story about an abusive husband and his wife. The husband was a rageaholic. He's a, one of these guys that every little thing would make him fly off the handle. And he was given to fits of anger, and sometimes, unfortunately and horrifically, these, this rage would become violent. Like the time he slammed his wife up against a cupboard for questioning him about something, or the time that he got so frustrated with her that he slapped her across the face, and then he ran out of the house because he was so ashamed of what he did. His wife, who was a Christian, forgave her husband every time he came home. 
And her husband would say very accurately, actually, I don't know what comes over me. But the wife loved her husband very deeply, and she saw not only this bad side, but many of the good sides of this very flawed man. But she lived in fear of the next time this rage would well up within him. So she stayed with her husband because each time he sincerely begged for forgiveness. She felt that her duty as a Christian was to forgive and extend grace every time. But there is the problem. The only thing she knew about God's grace was forgiveness. She had been told all of her life that she was powerless over sin and that God's grace came to forgive and restore her relationship with God. She was enough of a Christian to understand that. She was enough of a Christian to understand that if God had forgiven her, she should extend the same grace to others, and especially her husband. But she only knew a small piece of what grace is. And it was enough to keep her in that kind of dangerous situation. Indeed, it is God's grace that forgives and restores. And forgiveness is an awesome result of God's grace. And we should extend that same forgiveness toward others that God has given us, but it does not stop at forgiveness. In the story you heard, Forgiveness alone was filling this woman with torment, filling this woman with fear, and frankly placing her in a lot of danger. We look at this story and we want to just like cry to the woman, get out of this situation, get away from this man. Any sane Christian understands that the woman has no duty to remain at home and risk injury or death because of some notion of grace is only being expressed by forgiveness. Because grace, properly applied, truly means a changed life. And if we look at the husband in this story, we see that he doesn't understand grace. We see a man trapped in thoughts, emotions, and behaviors that will harm everyone he loves and ruin his own life as well. That's why grace is meant not only for forgiveness, but something that changes our fundamental nature, something that takes us and cleans us up into someone who reflects the very nature of Jesus Christ himself. We could no more imagine Jesus flying into rage like this than we could imagine Jesus telling a homeless man, go on your way, be filled, or be warm and filled without giving him food and clothing to help him. Would a grace-filled God leave us in the condition that he finds us? Would he spend his days reminding us of our shortcomings, demanding again and again prayers of repentance and sorrow? Would the loving creator wave his hand and say, you are forgiven, go and sin no more without lifting a finger to to help us and give us his power to gain victory over that sin? I know the example I used is extreme and disturbing for many, as I know many have lived like that. I grew up like that. I understand how that is to live around a, a rageaholic who, who will just go off at the, at the slightest thing. But sometimes extreme examples are necessary to grab our attention and our hearts and free our minds. 
So the question, does God's grace mean only forgiveness? Or is there something more to his antidote for our sins? Does God leave us alone in our torment, in our rage, our addictions, our isolations? Or does he have something else through this word called grace? You see, the problem is not with God the Father. The problem is not with grace. The problem with is that we may have a misunderstanding of grace and how it works in our lives. You see, Jesus will not leave us to ourselves any more than he would leave a beggar in the street um, hungry and clothless. Anyone who suggests so misrepresents the true grace of God. You see, grace forgives but it also guides. Set aside this question of heaven and hell for a moment. What about heaven or hell while we live? Some of us can live in hell right here on earth. But God's grace is available to lead and guide us right now. The fabric of everyday life is alive with the grace of God. If we wait until we sin to call upon the grace of God, we've squandered the best part and benefit of grace in this life. You see, grace restores, but it also guards. It instructs us to deny ungodly ways and teaches us the how-to. It teaches us how to live sensibly, how to live upright, how to live godly lives in an age where it just seems like living godly is passe and for, and for everyone else but, but us. The scripture teaches that we are saved by grace. The good news is we can experience salvation here and now as well as there and then. The kingdom of God glides on the wings of grace. The kingdom brings righteousness, peace, and joy. And best of all, the gracious Holy Spirit wants to lead us into righteousness, peace, and joy in our everyday life. This isn't something that we look forward to. It's something we can have right here and now if we have the power of grace working in our life. I think one of the hardest concepts that keeps us all from the life that God wants from us is that God, and the life that God has for us is that God's kingdom is never attained. It is received. It's a gift. It's not something we strive for. It's not something we get through some religious system that if we do this and this and this and this in the correct order, sometime, somehow we get there. It is something he freely gives us through the atonement of Jesus Christ by grace. So how will we receive the grace of this kingdom today? The Bible presents a grace that continues to reach into our lives day after day in more ways than we can expect. To our text today in, in Timot or Titus chapter 2, verse 11. This is going to introduce us to grace in ways that are both familiar and also probably a little unfamiliar for many of us. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to a young pastor here named Titus. Titus had traveled with Paul throughout his missionary journeys. Titus had been personally trained by Paul to become a pastor of a local church. Now Titus is a pastor of a church in Crete, which is an island near Greece. Crete was like the Las Vegas of its time. 
Crete was one of these islands you went to to be a total hedonist and live however you want in the most sinful condition you could. That's where God had called Titus to be the church to. And Paul had great affection for this young disciple, and he called him my true son in the faith. And here's what Paul taught Titus then and us today about the scope of God's grace. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious returning of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now we see in this passage the word grace appears right next to phrases like self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. What kind of grace is, is Paul talking about here? What, is, what does this mean? If grace means only forgiveness, why does the scripture also talking about, talk about a new way to live? Many of us as believers are familiar and have always applied the word grace to something that brings salvation. But not many of us have heard that grace also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions or to live upright, self-controlled, and godly lives. Many believers are familiar with saving grace that is capable of securing heaven someday for us, but have never considered that the possibility of God's grace can nurture us in this present age. So let's look at the four key points of this passage. The first point is that grace brings salvation. This is a part of God's grace that most Christians know, and it's wonderful. It's the gospel. It's the very thing that we should live to want to tell others about. It's foundational to our faith. As it says in Ephesians 2.8, For it is grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God. You see, this is the starting point of our life in Christ. But it is just that. It's just a start. The good news, it gets even better. And that brings us to the second point. Grace, grace teaches us to say no. You see, God doesn't want us forever trapped in a sin of sin and forgiveness. Grace keeps working on us and teaching us how to resist temptation and ungodliness. Think about that for a moment. We can call on grace before we fall into sin. It gives us a picture of the Father heart of God. So many people want to accuse God of being evil today because he wants Christians to live above that which the world lives in. I've had people tell me over and over, I would never follow a God who wouldn't let me do this. I would never follow a God that tells me I have to do that. But God isn't teaching us no to steal fun. He isn't telling us no to, to take away something that would cause pleasure or fulfillment to us. You see, God 
is our creator. His grace empowers us to say no to things that left unchecked would ultimately destroy us. As our creator, he designed us with certain specifications. For example, if an engineer designs a bridge to hold so much weight, if a group of truck drivers decide that, well, we're going to double our load and make more money, and we're all going to drive on this bridge together in a convoy and see what happens, they not only endanger themselves, but everyone else using that bridge because they're exceeding the design of the builder of that bridge. You see, you and I are spiritual beings. We are created by God as a spiritual being. That's our true nature. We forget that sometimes because we live inside these bodies. But these bodies, the only thing this body is used for is so that we can interact with this planet. We are truly spiritual beings. And as spiritual beings, God designed us to live in close fellowship and communication with him. In essence, we walk around plugged into him at all times. You see, when we decide to unplug from God, we go away from that which he was created us to be. We were never, ever designed to carry the weight of sin. That is why whenever sin comes into our lives, we start the process of collapse. And that collapse is tragic in our own lives. But we also live in a community. And that collapse affects everyone else around us also. That's why saying no to sin is the start of, God, of grace's work in our life. But next we find the third point of this scripture, is that grace teaches us how to live. You see, there's more to the Christian life than just saying no to sin. God's grace is available to change that sinful habit. He gives us patterns of self-control so that we can live upright and godly lives. This is not the result of trusting on our works, but rather allowing grace to teach us a better way. You see, we, when we say no, we think of abstinence, and abstinence gets a really bad rap in our culture. We think of abstinence, we think about saying no to premarital, especially teenage sex. But it starts by saying no to things that are, that are not part of God's character, but its end is a new way of thinking and feeling which automatically will produce a different response and a different action within us. And this is a completely different way to live than all the other religions in the world that says you can do this and not that, and you do that and this, but don't do that. This is a completely different way of thinking. This is one that is led by God's grace through the constant empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives and changing us from the inside out. Let me briefly illustrate this. I work, I work in a hospital, and I work amongst paramedics, and I work amongst firefighters, and I work in, you know, around county government a little bit, and there are some colorful language that is quite often used. But I don't go through my day saying, John, don't say the F-bomb. John, don't say the F-bomb. John, don't say the F-bomb. That's, that, that's, that's not the way I, I walk through life. I'm not saying, oh, God, or, or, or John, okay, God wouldn't be pleased if I, if, if I said this or, or, didn't, or, or laugh at that or, or anything like that. Instead, God has allowed grace to change my heart so those words aren't even in my thoughts, 
And therefore, they don't go flying out of my mouth. You see, as a man thinks, so is he. When people say, oh, I'm sorry, I swore in front of you, didn't I? I said, well, it it, it really doesn't bother me so much, except when they use Jesus' name, then I'll usually call them on it. Call, tell them how religious they are for praying all the time. That's what I'm assuming you were doing. You know, I make it a little bit of a joke, but enough, enough where I to tell them I didn't notice. But you see the difference, what I'm talking about here. Using grace only for forgiveness would have me praying dozens of times a day of forgive, for forgiveness, only to fail and fail and fail again. Instead, grace is working out something different within me so that I won't go there in the first place. And that's amazing grace. Not only does God forgive us for our sins, but he changes us so we won't do them anymore. And the fourth thing is that grace fills us with hope. Do you see the connection in all these verses? Life in Christ is not meant to be a desperate fight against sin or even a narrow focus on godly living. That produces religion. That produces something that, that is, isn't pleasing to God. That's trying to, to jerk yourself up by your own bootstraps and show God how good you are. That's, that's not what, what Christ has called us to. God calls us into a relationship with him. In verse 13, we see that it's God's grace that fills us with hope. Hope for this life and for the next. Our misunderstanding of grace only being for forgiveness would lead us to let sin rule us all the days of our life. But why would God, in his grace, leave us in such a wretched condition? It would be like he saved us and then still left us naked and bleeding at the side of the road. God's grace is after more than just wiping the slate clean week after week or day after day or hour after hour. The grace of God wants to change us and teach us a new way to live. Another way of seeing this is that grace is the teacher, we are the students, and all of our life is the classroom. If we present possess the humility to become learners. God's grace not only transports us to heaven when we die, but it brings heaven closer to us while we live. This is a part of the good news. Grace not only forgives our sins. Grace teaches us how to live a life that is no longer captive to sin. We can sometimes choose to sin. We get it stuck in a very unhealthy pattern that we choose to sin, which is bad enough. Worse yet, worse still, I should say, afterward, the voice in our head that tries to de- drag us down deeper still. And that's the voice of the adversary. You see, the adversary, the devil, would whisper enticement before I sin and then scream condemnation afterwards. His is a voice skilled in very subtle influence, followed by paralyzing guilt. It's a voice filled with accusation. We were going through the the names of, of Satan this morning in Sunday school, and one of the names we went through is that he is a liar, 
and the father of lies. Jesus said lies are his native tongues. And with these lies comes sin, and with sin comes death. But God's grace wipes away the penalty of death and the stain of sin. And even better, grace does more. It raises us to life and teaches us a better way to live. And this is the glory of God. The glory of God shows that he is so awesome. He is so powerful. And he is so wise that the great physician can even use our sin to lead us toward restoration. And that's what grace is. It's a message of restoration. And what's more, God can even take our defeat and turn it into the very fabric of instruction for us. You see, God wants us to learn from our past sins. He wants to tell us, go and sin no more. Yes, this stung you deeply. But I forgive you. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to place you back onto the path and keep walking with me. Have you ever learned from a sin? Have you ever had something that just smacked you down and you, you felt you, you were laying there in the aftermath of what you have done and you were saying, God, why? And he still picks you up and says, go and sin no more. See, God is not ready is not only ready to forgive, he is eager to teach. And if we are open to God's voice and we shut out those lies of the adversary, even our sin can become grace in his hands. He'll show us the path and correct our steps, not just by simply insisting on obedience, but by revealing our hearts and healing those bad things that are there. I found this out by raising my own children. My oldest daughter, Haley, is, is pretty stubborn and willful. And it started from the moment she could walk is when we really started to discover it. The apartment we lived in had some stairs going down the front door. And the way that these stairs were made, there's just, just no way to gate it from where the stairs began. There's no rails, nothing. There's no way to gate it. And Haley, you know, the toddler she was, would just kind of to so stand there on the edge and look over it. And we kept saying, Haley, don't go by the stairs. Haley, don't go by the stairs. We weren't really worried they were carpeted, so she did fall. It probably wouldn't hurt too much. But, you know, we still pick her up, bring her over here, show her a toy. Hey, Haley, play with this over here. Of course, you know, the toy would hold her, like most toddlers, toy would hold her attention for about 30 seconds, and she'd be standing up, going back over here and looking down the stairs. Sooner or later, it just... She just uh, got over there before we could get up and get her, and all of a sudden, zoom, boom, 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 boom. A lot of crying, a lot of tears, no, no real injury or anything. But, you know, we picked her up and we held her and, and, and told her, I said, this is why we don't want you to go close to those stairs, because you're going to get hurt. And after that, she avoided the stairs. That's kind of how God uses our sin and our mistakes and uses grace to inform us and change our minds and follow his way. That's why God allows us to experience sin sometimes. And I want to be very clear, though. It is not God's will for us to sin. Some people will say, well, I'm in sin right now because it's God's will. No, God will never will for you to sin. But God will reviews it to reveal the source of your stubbornness, to reveal that source of your willfulness within you. 
and try to expose it so he can heal that weakness that leads you into sin. You see, if I choose greed, God wants to reveal my insecurity and heal the weakness that would lead me into that sin. If I were to choose lust, God wants to reveal the root of that desire and heal the weakness that leads me into that sin. If I choose to judge somebody else, God wants to use that and reveal my pride and heal that weakness that leads me into that sin. You see, do you get the idea? God uses sin to reveal those broken areas within us so that he can bring healing to us. And that's grace in action. And it shows that what God asks of us, he empowers within us. He never just tells us to do something and leaves it for us to figure it out on our own. He empowers us to go and do what he has asked us to do. Jesus says, go and sin no more, but he also makes his command possible. He, gives us the he takes us to the source and he gives us hope and strength to do better. And this is a kind of resurrection. It's a resurrection from a life of sin. And resurrection wasn't just for Jesus. It's for us to leave that lifestyle of death and be risen alive in Jesus. Finally, we get to the application. And our application of these verses can be very personal. So I'm going to call you to do some homework this week. I want you to pray, listen, and learn. Let me explain how this is going to work. In your daily prayers, and hopefully you're, you're spending some time in prayer daily, you should include prayers like this. Spirit of God, please open my eyes and heart to recognize your grace and how it is working in my life. And you can be confident that God will answer this prayer. And after he answers this prayer, after he begins to reveal things in your life, just sit down and start writing some of that down. Make a few notes about what comes into your mind. Spirit of God is always speaking. We just need to stop, quiet ourselves, and listen. Because you're going to discover some things about God. God will reveal things about you, and you're going to discover some things about yourself. And I'm going to challenge you to do this, and I guarantee you this, God will lead you to a better and larger understanding of what his grace means. This is going to be about opening our eyes, our ears, and our lives to a gr deeper grace that God has in store from us. Because God's grace wants to teach us a better way to live. We need to move beyond the elementary teachings and into a life that is filled with God himself and the ability to reflect that to the world. It's not going to be perfect. We're not going to be made perfect overnight. Most of us are toddlers in the faith. It's going to, be time to, get, it's going to take time to learn to get our legs under us pour ourselves up on the spiritual furniture, to, to learn to stand before we learn to walk, to learn to walk before we learn to run, to learn to run before we learn to ride a bike. There's a, a, a series of progressions in our, in our spiritual walk with God, but there is always, always, always grace for forgiveness and growth as long as we keep our eyes and trust 
uh, our Savior Jesus.